Hey, I want to welcome you to the Barney McLean podcast. This is episode number 13. Today's topic, I'm going to talk a little bit more about abortion. Now, last week I addressed abortion from the viewpoint of the Democratic Party, uh, the ticket of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And today I'm going to talk a little bit more about abortion, but also I want to talk about the Republican Party, their stance on abortion and where President Trump stands on the whole issue of abortion. But before I get started with that, there's something interesting that came out this week. One of my favorite sports personalities is Tony Dungy. He's a man of faith. I mean, just one of the classiest, uh, most respectful, respectable guys uh, there is in the world of sports. Just love Tony Dungy. And he was responding to a quote that was made by Raphael Warnick, who's the Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate from Georgia. He's trying to unseat uh, current Senator Kelly Leffler. And he is the pastor, Raphael Warnick is the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. That's the famous Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. So he's a Baptist pastor. And he made statements in an interview about abortion. And he said that abortion is basically health care and that God is cool with it. Now, when somebody asked Tony Dungy what he thought about that, here's what Tony Dungy said in a tweet. He said, when you say a minister, does that mean they represent a church? I'd like to know what book the candidate uses as their foundation for the truth and their guiding principles. It couldn't be the Bible. So not that interesting? Tony Dungy says, you know, if a, if a minister... If a Baptist minister says that God is cool with abortion and that it's just basically health care, he said, where in the world is he getting that information from? And so, you know, I really like uh, that response from Tony Dungy. Somebody questioned about it. Uh, somebody tweeted back to him and said, due respect, where does the Bible mention abortion? And then Tony Dungy responded, read Psalm 139. Here's part of it. If you believe the Bible is the word of God, you, can, you can't read this and conclude that God doesn't view a baby in the womb as a life. So I really like, like I say, I really like Tony Dungy. I like the stance he took on abortion there. I thought it was very, very enlightening. And to me, you know, as a Baptist pastor, when I read that a Baptist pastor says God is cool with abortion, I think the same thing Tony Dungy does. I'm like, I wonder what book that man's reading. How in the world can you say that God is cool with abortion when we've been created in the image of God and that abortion is the taking of a, of a human life who's been made in the image of God? So let's just take a minute and see what the Republican platform actually says about abortion. Now, I'm going to get this from the 2016 platform. Here's what the Republican platform says regarding the issue of prote protecting human life. Quote, the Constitution's guarantee that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, or property deliberately echoes the Declaration of Independence proclamation that all men are endowed by their Creator with the inalienable right to life. Accordingly, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. Also says we support the appointment of judges who respect traditional family values and the sanctity of innocent human life. We oppose the non-consensual withholding or withdrawal of care or treatment. So they believe that children who are even born alive from abortion should be cared for, and they even try to pass legislation uh, to make sure that that would go into law. 
So that's the Republican committee. Of course, Republicans are known for being pro-life uh, when it comes to the whole issue of abortion. Here's what it's I'm got this from an article about Trump as far as his personal views of, of abortion. It says, despite this is not these are not my words, it's a quote from an article, quote, despite saying in a 1999 interview with NBC News that he was very pro-choice, unquote, Trump changed his messaging for the 2016 campaign. In January, he became the first sitting president to speak at an anti-abortion rally saying, quote, unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House, unquote. That is still quoting from the article. He has uh, has appointed judges who oppose abortion and banned federally funded clinics from referring patients to abortion services. The Supreme Court, however, delivered Trump a recent blow when it struck down a controversial Louisiana abortion law. So that's just from an article about Trump. Obviously, he is known as a very pro-life president. He has attended the National Right to Life meeting. Uh, He has spoken. And, you know, one of his biggest detractors, the group that really wants him out of office more than any other, is Planned Parenthood. If you go to Planned Parenthood website, uh, you'll see that they do not think very highly of President Trump. So the Republicans are pro-life. Trump is a very pro-life president. He knows the value of appointing pro-life judges. Uh, just stating it right now, just stating it like it is, but not everybody, even though he is pro-life, pro-life not everybody who claims to be pro-life uh, likes President Trump. As a matter of fact, there is a Catholic priest, the Reverend John Stowe in Lexington, Kentucky, who is not really a big fan of Trump. He says, quote, for this president to call himself pro-life and for anybody to back him because of claims of being pro-life is almost willful ignorance. Still continuing to talk about Trump, he says, quote, he is so much anti-life because he is only concerned about himself and he gives us every, every, every indication of that, unquote. And the Reverend Stowe continues to vent in this article. He brings up Pope Francis. Of course, I don't think Pope Francis and President Trump have the greatest of relationships. But Pope, uh, he says of Pope Francis, quote, Pope Francis has given us a great definition of what pro-life means. He basically tells us we can't claim to be pro-life if we support the separation of children from their parents at the U.S. border, if we support exposing people at the border to COVID-19 because of the facilities that they're in, if we support denying people who have need to adequate health care, access to health care, if we keep people from getting the housing or the education that they need, we cannot call ourselves pro-life. So here's what this guy is saying. Unless you take the basically big government approach to education and to health care, unless you're for more open borders, then you cannot call yourself pro-life. And that is something that, as you read more and more about pro-life, and especially you read not only from Reverend Stowe, but also from some of the, what would be called the progressive evangelicals, liberal evangelicals, if you can be that. But you will see that they want to say now that to be pro-life, you have to be pro-all life. That it's not just about abortion. You can't be pro-life if you're against abortion. It's got to be more than that. You've got to be pro all life. And that's something that was started years ago by a guy named Ron Sider. Of course, he's a liberal uh, evangelical. Like I say, I have a hard time 
categorizing like that. You can call them progressive evangelicals, but they're from the left. And one of the things that um, that he talks about is if you want to be considered, uh, if you want to be considered pro-life, that you cannot just talk about abortion. You have to talk about more issues. And Ron Sider uses this quote from Barney Frank, of course. Barney Frank was the uh, probably the first homosexual uh, member of the House of Representatives or, or openly homosexual member of the House of Representatives in D.C. from Massachusetts. But Barney Frank used to say that pro-lifers believe that, quote, life begins at conception and ends at birth. And that was, unquote, that was his way of saying, well, they want you to be born, but then they don't want the government to take care of you. And you got to understand, there's this whole push. They say womb to the tomb, but we've also heard with the welfare state or with the socialist state, it's the, you know, from the cradle to the grave. And it's almost like they're wanting to say, all right, if you're going to call yourself pro-life, then you have to be pro-socialist in some ways, or pro-big government, should I say. Um, Here's what Ryan Sider says. He says, environmental degradation is a pro-life issue. So you have to be green. If you're not green, then you're not pro-life. Racism is a pro-life issue. Capital punishment is a pro-life issue. So you cannot be for capital punishment. If you're for capital punishment, uh, then that, you know, you're not truly, truly pro-life. Now, not only Ron Sider, but there's another guy named Shane Claiborne. Uh, Claiborne is a member of what they call the Red Letter Christians. And just let me say this. Whenever you see Red Letter Christians, just kind of let a little bit of red flag go up with Red Letter Christian because uh, they're coming at it from a, from a progressive point of view, from a, a liberal, left, left-leaning left point of view. That's the best way I know to say it. Uh, here's what Shane Claiborne says. He says, as quote, as red-letter Christians, we need to be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. Abortion and euthanasia, the death penalty and war, poverty and health care, all of these are issues of life and death, and they are issues Jesus cared about that affect real people. Uh, and he continues on, Quote, it's not just enough to be born. We also need to support the babies, the kids, the youth. And that means making sure everyone has the right things they need to thrive. Education, food, health care, housing, and all such things. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have a pro-life movement that stood against abortion, but also stood just as passionately against the death penalty, gun violence, militarism, and war. To get the, the degradation of creation, police brutality and all other things that destroy life. That would truly be a pro-life movement. To be pro-life is not only about protecting the unborn, but also about supporting folks after they are born. So you kind of, hopefully you kind of see the direction that these guys are, are taking with. I mean, I think most people are all for helping people have their needs met, but you know, what role does government have? Do we need to just go ahead and let government make all the decisions for us? Do we need to go ahead and just turn over 50% of our income to the government and let them redistribute it? Do we just need to go into socialism? Uh, what about gun control? Do we need to just do away with the Second Amendment? Do we just need to cast that aside? What about capital punishment? Is capital punishment biblical? I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But also, not only do you have Ron Sider, you have Shane Claiborne, but also Jim Wallace. He's another biggie. He's with Sojourners. And uh, here's what he says about pro-life. He says, quote, But a consistent 
ethic of life also includes ending poverty, human trafficking, the death penalty, ceaseless and senseless wars, and weapons of mass destruction. So you have Jim Wallace also as a progressive evangelical said, yes, we're pro-life, but not just about abortion. Abortion, to be truly pro-life, you have to be against the death penalty. You have to, um, I don't want to say be open borders, but you just kind of see where things kind of go in that direction. You also have to be about, you know, big, big government providing all these needs uh, for people. Uh, you have to be about health care. Uh, now, let me tell you something about health care. I am somebody who has had to struggle with insurance companies for 30 years. I've had to struggle with them, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm someone that, you know, under Obamacare, my health care premium has just, it's almost embarrassing to tell you how much I have to pay per month uh, for health care. It's, it, it is very, it's, it's, it's unreal how much. And let me just say this. I've had times where when our first child was born, I was not able to get Stephanie on the insurance plan I was on. It just took a long, complicated process. There were some mitigating factors, all this kind of stuff, and she should have been insured. But anyway, it was drug out, and so we wound up have, you know, being pregnant. So what I had to do is I had to, get a, I had to get a second job. I had to go to school, work as a janitor during the day, and work at a trucking company at night. Had another incident with an insurance company. We were, me and the kids later were all on one policy and same company wouldn't insure Stephanie at first, didn't insure then either. And so she had a individual policy, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, when she got pregnant with Stephen, our fourth child, because it was individual policy, they did not cover pregnancy. So once again, we had an uninsured pregnancy and guess what I had to do? I had to get another, I had to get a second job. I had to work on my day off teaching a psychology class at a technical college. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is this. There are hardships in life that you have to face. But I don't want the government to be paying my bills. I just don't because I I know where that leads. And there's something to be said about, you know, if if we're all going to have difficulties in life. And there will be people that are in a situation where they need to be helped, and we do need to have a, a safety net at some point to help people. I completely understand that. But when you get to the point of saying, you know, you're not going to be pro-life unless you're big government, I think that is so misguided, and I think that that is, that is so off. And, and I'm someone that has had to take it on the chin when it comes to insurance, and I still don't want government health insurance. I, you know, I, I just don't. I like the freedom. I like the individual responsibility. I think there is a biblical ethic that says you're supposed to work. I think it's a God-given thing that we're supposed to do. You're supposed to work. The sweat of the brow. Uh, New Testament says if somebody doesn't work, neither should they eat. So, you know, there's a work ethic, and, and it's good to work, and you're going to have hardships. You're going to have difficulties that you're going to have to just... You're just going to gut it out sometimes, and you, just, you may have to get a second job sometimes. But there's also that, that feeling of satisfaction that comes when you are able to make it, and God helps you to make it. That's the only reason how I could make it is Lord. I felt the Lord helping me. But the whole thing about being, if you're pro-life, then you're pro-big government. 
I think that that is so misguided. It, it is extremely misguided. Now, I just want to go back and I want to address the whole issue of capital punishment. Now, it's not a pleasant topic. Uh, when there's capital punishment, punishment, it means someone has done something heinous enough that they deserve the death penalty. Now, that's how it is in the United States. Uh, we have a legal system, judicial system. Now, they have, there's some discrepancies among evangelicals. There's some differing opinions now among evangelicals about the death penalty. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the National Association of Evangelicals in 2015 went back and changed their statement on capital punishment because they realized, you know, there's some evangelicals that did not go along with that any longer. And here's what they said in their new resolution, quote, evangelical Christians differ in their beliefs about capital punishment, often citing strong biblical and theological reasons either for the just character of the death penalty in extreme cases or for the sacredness of all life, including the lives of those who perpetrate serious crimes and yet have the potential for repentance and reformation, unquote. Now, as far as the whole aspect of the death penalty, verses that you'll hear people reference when it comes to the death penalty is Genesis 9-6. This is after the flood. God was speaking to Noah. He says, quote, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man, unquote. So, human life is so precious, having been created in the image of God, that's where human life gets its worth. If somebody takes a life, then their life was to be taken. Now, that was before the law was given to Moses, so it predates uh, the Jews. It predates the law given on Mount Sinai, so many would say, well, then that has some universal applications there. Uh, also, in Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about how the civil authorities do not bear the sword in vain, that civil authorities do have the ability to carry out capital punishment. It's not said that they can't. So there are those in Christianity who say, yes, you know, there's biblical warrant, biblical mandate for there being a death penalty. And then there would be others that would say, well, you know, that was before Jesus came and uh, they offer in reference to the woman who was caught in adultery and how Jesus said, go and sin no more. And that Jesus himself was put to death by capital punishment by the Roman authorities. Uh, so you're going to have some evangelicals and goodwill evangelicals on both sides of it. Personally, I believe that there is a warrant for uh, capital punishment in the Bible. It should be in extreme circumstances. Uh, and I like what Prison Fellowship says about the conditions for capital punishment. That it, there has to be proportionality. Uh, there has to be a certainty of guilt. Uh, it has to be, uh, there has to be uh, the intent of the person who committed the murder. It can't be manslaughter. I mean, this has to be a, a malicious act. There has to be due process. It has to go through the judicial system. And there, there needs to be a reluctance to execute. It's not that people are chomping it a bit to execute people. So I think it is a deterrent for crime. I do not think it's wrong when a government implements capital punishment. Uh, I think it does hold to the dignity of life. Uh, according to Genesis 9, verse 6. So to be 
pro-life as far as the unborn, if you're pro-capital punishment, there's not an inconsistency. There, there is a biblical consistency that you can, you can back up with Scripture. So when they, when they do say that, that, that is erroneous. Uh, also, when it comes to refugees, uh, I know there, I read, what, 60 to 70 million refu- refugees in the world. No country can take in every refugee. You just can. I know the United States, there's recently been where the number of refugees allowed in has been reduced. Uh, refugees coming from certain countries where there's a lot of animosity toward the United States. And so there's a big vetting process. And they did find out that um, evangelicals uh, were the less likely of all segments of the population to be open to receiving the refugees into our nation. So that Kind of, you know, that's something probably needs to be looked at. And, you know, hey, what are the reasons for that? Let's let's do a little bit more uh, study in that. But you can't, you cannot take in every refugee. And people who are refugees, uh, in the Old Testament, they were told to be kind to the stranger, the, the person that was a refugee. Of course, some would say that when uh, Joseph brought his dad, Jacob, who's known as Israel, and his brothers down in Egypt, they were refugees. There was a time of famine. They came to Egypt for food. Um, so, you know, if somebody is a refugee in our in our nation, then you know we should do what we can to, to help them, uh, just because they've been created in the image of God, and we're to show kindness to them. But as far as government policy goes, the government has a responsibility uh, to protect the citizens citizenry. I can't even say that right. The citizens of the nation. Um, so, you know, that's that you. We can have different views on, okay, how many refugees need to be allowed in? Uh, are they going to be able to assimilate and willing to assimilate into the nation? There's certain there's certain questions that the civil authorities have to have to ask the government to pr- protect the citizens. Uh, they have to do a vetting process. There has to be a willingness to assimilate. So uh, some of that, you know, we can leave that up to the governmental authorities. Uh, that that can be a, a something that can be debated. Uh, as to uh, the number of refugees. But, you know, we are called to show love and kindness to people, and that's what we need to do on a, on a personal level. But what the government does on a governmental level, uh, that's the government's response to t- responsibility to take care of the citizens of the nation. Um, so anyway, that's basically what I wanted to talk to you today about is the whole aspect of being pro-life, and you can be pro-life, but it does not mean that you have to incorporate all this other, you know, a, a big government agenda in order to be truly pro-life does not mean you have to be green, does not mean uh, you have to be against the death penalty and all that kind of stuff. Because that's kind of a of an of an avenue that's that's being spoken of now when it comes to the pro-life issue. And I think it's misguided. The people may be well-intentioned, um, but I, I do think it's misguided. And the preborn child, regardless of my view on capital punishment, regardless of my view on the environment, regardless of my view on refugees, the life within the womb of a mother is, is a human being. That life has been created in the image of God. And to take that life is not right. And to have 62 million abortions since 1973 is not good. And so... You can't draw attention away from that by putting attention on all these other issues and kind of lumping them all in there together. No, we're talking about the life of the child within that womb of that mother. 
And that child is being created in the image of God. And that the life of that child is worth saving. That child is of infinite worth. So I just kind of wanted to get that uh, kind of spoken about today. Kind of live a little bit of an addendum to last week. Uh, read a little bit of the Republican platform when it comes to abortion. A little bit of what uh, current president, President Trump's view of being pro-life, a pro-life president, appointing pro-life judges. And so remember, we got an election coming up in November. You vote your conscience. Uh, you vote according to issues. Uh, but I do believe that abortion is a is a very, very big issue. And remember, the views I express on the Martin McLean podcast, they are my own views. I represent myself on this podcast. But uh, abortion is a big issue. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being with me today on the Marty McLean podcast. And I hope you have a great week. And I will see you next time.